Welcome back to another episode of Leafs Talk Forever, episode 18, Draft Preview Part 1. Um, daily reminder or weekly reminder that we have the Discord group chat. Uh, we have an Angel Inside the Rink Facebook page. Uh, this is a partnership with Inside the Rink. Uh, you can check out Inside the Rink on Twitter at, at Inside underscore the underscore rink. Um, and while you're there, check out my articles that I write that base loosely on this podcast. Uh, before we get into jersey numbers, I just want to throw out a thank you for our third biggest downloaded episode um, since we've been here, or since we started. Shout out to Sweden, because they're slowly moving up the ranks and downloads. And the other countries that are new, uh, we have Poland, uh, where are we, Hungary. Um, I don't know if I mentioned the Netherlands, but if I didn't, welcome. Uh, Iceland, uh, France, and Austria. So, welcome to all you. Hopefully, you you download and you listen more. Um, and Sweden, keep downloading. Oh, and Ireland, moving up the ranks too. They went from like near the bottom to fourth most downloaded. So, I good to have here. Want to touch on that for one second? I know Iceland isn't the biggest uh, country, place, region in the world, but I'm honestly surprised that there hasn't been an NHL player come from Iceland. Um, I think wasn't Owen Nolan from Iceland? No, no, wasn't he from like France? Well, let me just quickly Google this. Well, you tell everyone on the podcast that Iceland isn't made of ice. He's from the UK. Ah, uh, yeah, he is from the UK. But like, they're they're pretty much oh, the same Ireland. type of the same type of like regional as Canada, Sweden, Norway, all those other Arctic, northern country. I'm, I'm honestly surprised that there hasn't been an NHL player come from Iceland. There has Unless been there has. one NHL player. Oh, His name is Emil Allengard. I don't know if he played in the NHL, but he's the most famous player from Iceland. Hmm. Well, then there you go. Never mind. So, boom, proven, proven wrong. Anyways, um... I was a little surprised when I saw Iceland, to be honest. But welcome. Oh, and Honduras. I don't think I said them last week, and I know that they're new. So kind of cool to see different countries um, from all different areas of the world. Uh, listen to three boneheads and and listen to Kyle count the months on his fingers. Um, yeah, all right, jersey number. Pardon me. No, nothing. Oh, okay, jersey uh, number eighteen. Um, Kyle, you want to hit us with yours? Sure, I'll uh, I'll gladly start. Um, my number eighteen that I picked was Chad Kilger. Played three years for the Leafs. Um, Seventy-five points in two hundred nineteen games played. Uh, after the Leafs, he was traded to Florida for a third-round pick, um, but refused to report for the team. Never played in the NHL again. Again after that, um, he ended up retiring in two thousand nine. And interesting fact is he's currently a firefighter now. So good to see that he's still doing something out in uh, in Ontario, actually. Cornwall, Ontario. He's a firefighter out there. So I found that pretty interesting. Yeah, that's cool. Most uh, ex-hockey players do something like accounting, boring stuff. So, so to be a firefighter is pretty amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. Um. All right, well, Chad Kilger, I, I didn't mind him when he played for the Leafs. So, uh, yeah, 
pretty cool uh, number 18, and that's actually who I was going to pick, but because Kyle picked him, I chose Mike Brown. Mustachio. Fighter. It's pretty much all he did, and he was quick as heck. Um, most notable for San Jose, but played for Toronto for a couple of years um, before getting replaced by Cold Nor and uh, Frederick McLaren. So we'll send her over to Scott for jersey number 18, the most boring one ever. Take it away. Well, I I think this, I mean, I've said this numerous times. This is like times, 18 but, weeks in a row. Yeah, but I think <laughs> this is the first time that I've actually didn't like, I haven't liked a player on the list. Like, there's been players who I picked because I preferred them over the other players listed, but I think this is the first time that not one player on the list I would actually even have said, I like them as a leaf, I like them as a player. But so I picked Andreas Janssen. Uh, I mean, he doesn't really need an explanation. He played for the Leafs for a couple of years, a few years ago. Most people know who he is because of how recent he's played for them. So I don't think I need to explain who he is. He sucks. Um, well, I mean, so does Mike Brown. So. Uh, okay. <laughs> um. So for classics, notables this week, um, much like the last couple of weeks, we're just going to name them off. And if you're interested in looking them up, look them up after. Uh, so for 18 this week, we have Carl Brewer, Al Arbor, Jim Poppin, uh, Jim McKenney, Peter Inacek, uh Kent Mandeville, and Alan McCulley. Uh, two quick facts here. Alan McCulley would probably actually be my favorite 18, to be honest, now that I've seen his name on the list. Um, and secondly, Kent Manderville just linked with me on LinkedIn, and he is also an accountant or a player accountant or whatever to help players man- manage their money so they don't end up like Theo Fleury. Uh, so kind of interesting that, well, pretty much that I just mentioned that a boring career in, in finances, and he has one. Um. Yep. Also, just, just to throw this out there, I just want to plug this podcast. The other day, I was on uh, the Production Line podcast. They're the Detroit Red Wings under the Inside the Ring uh, Partnership Umbrella. So check them out. Uh, we talked about draft uh, questions and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and because of this week's podcast, the next week's podcast is going to be about the draft. This one's going to be about the first round. And the other one uh, next week is going to be about the whole two other picks that Toronto has on the, on the draft. Uh, before we get into the actual draft, which we'll be with you that night as a recap. Um, so, yeah, check them out because they have some kind of cool outlooks on what Detroit should do. And I, I don't know exactly how Leafs fans feel about it, but I don't mind Detroit as a team. I think it's cool when Toronto and Detroit play. The games are usually entertaining, like this year when it was like 9-8. Football score. Low score. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and uh, what's his name? Nadelkovic came back in after getting pulled. Yeah, that was weird. So, yeah, check that podcast out. There's a weird dynamic between Toronto and Detroit because they used to be rivals, both in the West. But then when Toronto switched to the East, they didn't really play much. So the rivalry kind of died down a bit. Hopefully now that they're both back in the East, which they probably should have both been in the East anyway, but uh, they could pick that back up because in the earlier days of when there was original six, and then even a little bit after, Toronto-Detroit used to be a big rivalry. Not as big as yeah. Toronto-Montreal, Boston-Montreal, but like they were still rivals. But I think that then, rivalry will come back when Detroit's better, though. Oh, well, yeah, sure. but that's what I mean. Like, most younger people, like 
kids who are just getting into hockey now wouldn't know about the rivalry because Toronto yeah. hasn't been in the West since 1996 or whatever. So want to see a good rivalry between them two? Uh, check out the what was it the '93 playoff series when they played them in like the second round. And uh, like I when I watched that during the first part of the pandemic, I was completely blown away by how physical those two teams played against each other. Like Jared Gallant, that was the year that I found out Jared Gallant was on Stevie Wise line, and he would just go around and just annihilate anyone that moved to try and protect Stevie Wise. So, if you're just getting into hockey and you want to learn about it, definitely check out that particular playoff series because I mean that was the last time Toronto really had a real chance. But uh, yeah, I, I guess yeah, you're right. It, it, it would be cool though. Could you imagine them in a playoff round now because they're both like finesse with a little yeah. bit of grit, physicality. And I, uh, one of the things that we talked about on the podcast was their outlook on Detroit versus our outlook on Detroit or my outlook as, as a Leafs fan. And they thought that they would be like, like they, the way that they were talking was like, they're going to be bottom feeders again. And my view, I don't know what your guys' view on Detroit is, but my view is like, you guys are like LA one or two good pieces added to your team. And you guys are competing for a playoff spot. Oh, I completely agree. I, uh, I think they're not too far out. Um, I don't want to say 10 years, but I don't want to say next year. I want to say it's in between. Um, I'd say three, three or four. Maybe they could be competing with a wild card, uh, wild card position, but I don't think it's going to be uh, next year. I think like there's a chance with Boston being basically like on the IR, like the whole main core of their team. But oh, yeah, you're right. I think that. like, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> let's take. let's. Let's get let's get into Florida in a second. We'll talk about. I just want. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. No, no, you go. I thought you were. I thought you were moving on already. Um, I, I I'd agree with Kyle, but I think we mentioned this before. I don't even know. It was weeks ago. Is that the the coming years for the Eastern Conference, especially specifically Toronto's division, is going to be so good. Like Montreal's only going to get better. Ottawa's looking up. Detroit's looking up. Florida's Buffalo. good. Buffalo's looking up. Tampa's good. Boston, when healthy, is good. Toronto's good. Like that, that division, if all the teams continue to develop and then stay at the level they're playing at with the good teams, like that division is going to be so good. Yeah, but makes it tough as a Leafs fan, though, because like one bad stretch in a season, like right now, if they have a bad stretch in the season, they're they're locking up the first wild card spot. But if all these teams progress and kind of compete on the level of like wild card to playoff, like one bad stretch for any of those upper echelon teams in that division, and you could find yourself on the outside looking in. Yeah. So, more of the story, in my opinion, is the good teams like Toronto, Florida, uh, Boston, Tampa have to make sure when these other teams are up and coming, if it's two years from now, that they have their shit together and aren't going on bad stretches that are like how this, the least one this year with the Jack Campbell, Peter Mrazek in between. Remember halfway through the season when things look like dull and, yeah. um, well, shitty, really. Um, Let's get into a couple things here. Uh, we have some news and notes from around the league. Uh, we have the Matthews uh, domination, I should say, at the award show. And then, uh, as mentioned, after the break, after our sponsorship break, we'll be getting into our first round uh, draft choices that we think the Toronto should be making or potentially look at taking if they're still there. Uh, altogether, I think we have 13 guys uh, between the three of us, so that's kind of cool. Uh, good chance that one of the one of those guys will be taken. Um, so yeah, we'll 
send it to one of you two guys, and you guys can kind of sum up what what, what Matthews won, and and we'll start from there. Uh, okay. So uh, the NHL awards were on Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah, Tuesday. And Austin Matthews won both the Ted Lindsay and the Hart Trophy, which goes with the already previously announced uh, Rocket Trophy, making him the, I think he's the most, like, for awards in one season, he's the most winningest Leaf. I don't think there's ever been another Leaf who have won more than one trophy in a season. Yeah, and so he also got cool. first-team All-Star. Yeah, and, like, the and, – sorry? Yeah, that's a big one for sure. First-team All-Star. I was surprised Mitch Marner made the first. I thought Mitch Marner would have been second-team All-Star. Yeah, Mitch Marner's a beast, though, so end of the story. But uh, the MVP voting, uh, I was su- surprised Matthews won by the margin. He won by – like, he was, what, 500 over – over McDavid and almost a thousand over Shesterkin at third. The uh, the host's name. Oh, Keenan Thompson. How he had to how he had to add in. Oh, at least some uh, the Leafs won something for once. Yeah, that that's actually that pissed me off. And uh, today, actually, on the Rookie from Born Show, Nick Capro said, "I think the best that anyone said it." If he's Kyle Dubas or Brent Shanahan, I'm calling the NHL and I'm saying, like, get your act together for this reason. Uh, that was like a historic night for the Toronto Police. Like one of the most historic nights that they've had pretty much ever in the last 60 years or more. And, and you have some wannabe comedian that says most that they've ever won in June. And that's that's kind of a piss off in my opinion. And then it goes viral and then the NHL or and then it's trending all over and then people are making fun of the Leafs like, Oh wow, you haven't won anything in June, blah 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 blah. Like it just is a bad look, I think, for the NHL. Yeah, like who the heck are you to say something? I mean most uh, people that most people <laughs> Yeah, most people that uh then that, that's that even watch that thing probably don't even know that he was in the Mighty Ducks. People just thought that he got hired because he's a comedian and host yeah. Saturday. I didn't, I didn't he's, he's, the, he's the goalie on the other team. Remember that does the knuckle puck? He's Russ Tyler. Yeah, was he not the goalie though on that one? Or not the no. goalie, but he he was the he, goalie on that one and when he took over for Goldberg. Just yeah, that was just that one scene though. Yeah, yeah. He came from the, the street ball team. Oh yeah, yeah, LA. yeah. And he showed yeah, they showed him the knuckle puck, yeah. Yeah, they showed him how to get physical by yeah. uh, body checking him up against the chain link fence. Yeah, so most people, including Kyle, uh, didn't know who. Well, I mean, not most people, but some people, including Kyle, would Me, would just yeah. know him as a Saturday Night Live host. I'm assuming. And, yeah. yeah. Or um, uh, Keenan and Kale. He was also on all that, the old Family Channel, oh, yeah. Disney Channel show, and the Amanda yeah, show. Yeah, like. I think I think the most important thing that you get across to that whole situation, in my in my opinion, is kind of like what Nick Kipra said. It's like that was a huge night for Toronto sports and the Toronto Maple Leaf organization, and you have some some dude making a joke about how that's the best thing that they or most that they've won in June or whatever he said, and then now it's trending on social media. It takes away the fact that Toronto had a historic night because people are now going to hop on the fact that Toronto doesn't win in June. Like, let's yeah, be real. I mean, Most times, people don't. 
I could see that. Although, I mean, if you if that's your joke, then it doesn't really make sense because the the award's not for what happens after the season ended. Okay, even on Twitter and stuff, people are like, "Oh, they haven't won a playoff round," and "Oh, but he didn't do anything in the playoffs." Was individual award for the season, so what happened in the playoffs doesn't really matter. Yeah. Oh, and this is a a point that I made to Scott the other the other day. Um, Mike Rupp was on a radio show. I saw it on Twitter, and he was explaining the fact that like people are saying, well, this was before the award was announced, but people are saying like uh, McDavid's a lock because how he did in the playoffs. Like that that award is voted on before the last game of the season, so it didn't matter how good of a time McDavid had in the playoffs. It's uh, he he. He would. I don't think he would have. Ever, I mean, it's obvious that he wouldn't have, but he wouldn't have beat Matthews based on that because playoffs doesn't incorporate or doesn't incorporate into the voting. Same as Sturkin. Yeah. I was surprised. Like I put this in one of the group chats I'm in with a lot of Rangers fans. Like I thought, I was surprised that he didn't get second over McDavid. And then a lot of responses that I've seen, and a lot of people said like, "Well, he only played 56 games." Blah 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 blah. Like it's funny because. A guy like Jeff Merrick all year has been saying, Sisterkin for Hart, it doesn't matter how many games he's played, he's the most valuable. And then when he gets third, it's like, oh, yeah, he only played 56 games. It's hard. To... No, no, I don't think that's a fair argument. I think that you're just trying to hide the fact that you guys thought that he was going to be a, a lock on it, and then he finished third. I, I don't get how saying he only played 56 games is a knock against him. Don't most starting goalies play around 60 games? Like a, like the best in the league play around sixty. Yeah. Well, how many games? How many games right now is Tampa playing the playoffs? Roughly, they played six or seven against Toronto, four against four, Florida, six against six, the Rangers, 15, and this is going to be game game. So, and, so and last 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 game night's five. game game four was eighty two games. That's just Durkin played. So how many games is that? Minus season, minus the playoff how, games. Well, how many games did the Rangers play? No, no, sorry, not just Durkin, Vasilevsky, sorry. 63 oh. in the regular season. Yeah, yeah. like I think, he, I think he was the leader in games played yeah. in the regular season. But, so that's only seven more. Yeah, yeah, and 63 is like, I think him and John Gibson were the two highest. In the, and and six, if you're playing 60 games as an NHL goalie, I think that you, like, you shouldn't be ripped dead on at all. Like That shouldn't be a knock against you for being. But on the other hand, like if Shosturkin played 82 games in the NHL or in the regular season this year, his save percentage wouldn't have been a 930. Like, there's yeah. still 20 other games that, like, some of those games he could have got blown out. I mean, if he played 82 games and even if his save percentage uh, dropped to like a nine or went up, whatever one's worse, up, right? No, down. No, down. Yeah, you want yeah, higher. Yeah, so if, if it went down to like 915, it, he played 82 games. He's winning the heart, like the MVP. Yeah. Like, Matthew's 60 goals in a season is impressive, but if a goalie plays all 82 games and still has above a 900 save percentage, you, you're winning the MVP. Well, the thing that also pissed me off is people are like, oh, well, uh, Carey Price won the Hart Trophy, and he only won, or he only played, as obviously sarcasm, five games the year that he won. I don't know how many games he won, or played, sorry, when he won the Hart Trophy, but I'm sure it was, like, probably north of 40. What year was that, 2011? I have no idea. 2012, maybe? I don't know. I know he won that in the Jennings. He won it in 
2014-15. And how many uh, how speak, many games did he play? Well, I'm looking. Well, while I'm looking this up, because you brought Montreal, I saw interesting. I mean, the picture the girl shared on Twitter was wrong, but he played 66 games that year in 14-15. Yeah, so he he played an enormous amount of games. Like, that's probably the most games I've seen a goalie play in the last, I don't know, 20 years. And and people are really saying that he didn't deserve it because he only played, quote-unquote, five. Did you guys see the Avalanche, Tampa Bay uh, overtime goal last night? Yeah, Kadri, uh, he didn't even know that he scored. That was hilarious. And did you see the uh, the um, Too Many Men? Yeah. Situation. John, John Cooper wasn't too happy about that. John Cooper, I I lost so much respect for this man last night. This guy, yeah. did you see what he did? Uh, no, I only heard he made some comment. I didn't see what he said or did, though. So he went to the podium, explained how his heart was broken for the Tampa Bay players, blah, 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 oh, yeah. and then said, like, you'll see tomorrow when you watch the video. We should have still been playing. I'll be available tomorrow. And then got up and walked away. Like, basically emotional about how the league won. Yeah. I, at one point, he said something along the lines of, like, the league. The league. He loves the league. He loves the game. Being a kid from Canada. Like, it was almost like he was ready to say, if Tampa Bay gets beat out, I'm retiring or something. Like, he was, like, mad emotional about it. And then people, the first thing oh, yeah. people posted on Instagram or Twitter was last year in game five or six or seven against the Islanders, they won one nothing. And that one goal, they had seven guys on the ice. <laughs> yeah. Good. And yeah. this year against Toronto, they got the most yeah. unbelievable pick called back. Oh so serves you right. Karma. So I don't know if you guys have seen what happened, but Condra jumped over the boards way too early. And he was approximately like yeah. they measured like forty feet from the boards when Nathan McKinnon was trying to get off. But by the time he scored, Nathan McKinnon was off the ice. So technically, he didn't touch the puck or anything. So it's and like, that's why the refs are saying it's up to their discretion to call too too many men because they didn't feel at that time it was. Even Tim Peel was on Roadkeeper board today saying by the rule by the rules in the in the book, technically, yes, he jumped on too early, but. Like the change was happening, and sometimes he said, which Scott actually noticed more than anyone this year, that too many men is typically called more when the other team's bench reacts. Oh, for sure. And Tampa Bay's bench didn't react the whole the whole time until after, like they were dog tired. So, your guys' thoughts on the situation? That's I think their fault. Then, I'm oh, sorry. Okay. Um. Don't you guys think that's kind of their fault then? If this relates back to your point where if calls are typically more popular when the bench reacts versus the bench not reacting and not getting those calls, if they didn't react to the call, then why are you complaining? You should have reacted at first and then maybe you would have gotten it for sure. Well, well kind, not for kind sure. of, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you probably you may not have gotten it, but kind of like, but at the same time, like Colorado had you pressure in your zone for like 13 minutes. So I don't understand why you'd be tired and miss it. But what are your thoughts, Scott? I I think Tampa's a bunch of whiners. They didn't have a problem when Toronto was getting screwed out, screwed out of calls by the refs. 
They didn't have a problem when the Rangers or Florida had a bad call go against them. And yeah, you could argue this is the Stanley Cup final. It means a bit more, but still, if that call against the Leafs wouldn't have happened, Tampa probably would have lost that game. And then in the was the Rangers series, Tampa did the exact same thing and didn't get a penalty called. Yeah, and in the uh, Florida game, there was a situation where two guys hit each other and they gave Mackenzie Weger the penalty. Yeah, instead of both or none. Hypocritical for them to come out, and John Cooper did this in the Leaf series too. Come out to the media and publicly complain about the refs and the officiating because it's not going your way. When it's not going the other team's way either, just in that one instance. Like the refereeing has been horrible all year for every team in the league. Yeah, you you missed a calling in Game uh, Five of the Stanley Cup Final, but like every team in this league has a list of gripes against the refs. So it just seems Tampa, the coach this playoffs, has come out to the media more and complained. And then the next game, they come back and, and Tampa gets more calls go their way. And, and also, was, sorry, the, the, the Kadri was still on a two-on-one. Like, there were still the two Tampa Bay players plus Vasilevsky to defend yep. and stop the puck. So even if it was a missed call, Kadri danced around both your defensemen and scored. So why aren't you blaming your defense for not stopping them when it was a two-on-one for your I team? Do. A dude who essentially has one hand. Yeah. Like, yeah, the, the the missed call would be mad because us as Leafs fans know, like, we complain about it. But then to, to, to completely ignore the fact that both your defensemen did nothing to stop Kadri from scoring when he was the only Colorado player in the zone, it just seems like you're trying to make excuses as to why he lost. In reality, though, like, no one complained on the ice. It didn't seem like anyone even knew until after... Like, it seemed like after it all happened. Because even when, when they thought Vasilevsky stopped the puck, no one like no one went straight to the ref. Like, it just seemed like after when the video coaches saw it, then they thought. And then Tampa thought it was offside because Nathan McKinnon was trying to get off the ice. But I don't know. I guess it's a gray zone. But here's the thing that, that, that pisses me off the most about this whole situation is people are like, they let everything from the – second and third period go no trips no nothing like i understand that that would be the case and some people think that that's why the too many men wasn't called but too many men puck over the glass those are things that should be called like all the time it's a blatant like if someone flips the puck over the glass they're getting the two minutes to delay a game if you have too many men on the ice you should get too many men on the ice you know if you trip if you trip someone and the refs put their whistles away although it sucks it's technically at the ref's discretion and I understand that too many men in this situation was as well. But, like, technically, if you have six guys on the ice at some point, you should be called. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I, like I, just, think, I think that's the problem, though, is that the ref's discretion has become such a factor in what's a penalty nowadays. Yeah, that's that true. People, when it isn't called, because so many missed penalties are called, or pen, uh, plays that shouldn't be called penalties are called penalties, and then blatant ones are just completely ignored. Is people don't know what the refs are going to call, what they're going to call, and then when they miss one that should be obvious, people get mad because the discretion has become more of a factor than the actual rule. That's true. Yeah. I don't know. I just think now, I think when Tampa knew that that puck went in, obviously they they try to cry wolf, blah, blah, blah. And as Leafs fans, we know when Tampa cries wolf to the media, when John Cooper gets up there and puts on the sob, sob story, blah, blah, blah. We know that the refs are going to favor Tampa in the next game. However, I think that at that moment, Tampa realized it's over. 
that's why they were crying and all that. Exactly, and people are like, don't count Tampa Tampa still. Stamkos tried to pull the puck out of the net without the ref looking. Yeah, and like, people are, to those people that are saying don't count Tampa out, sure, Tampa's proven that they, they shouldn't be counted out. But let me tell you, Anthony Sorelli last night, they showed a video of him, like, a, the, the you know, when they're in the intermissions and they're going into the locker rooms. And Patrick Maroon had to put his jersey on for him because he's so banged up that he can't. So they're probably loading this guy up with painkiller to go out there and play. Like, there's no way that Tampa's extending this series. Like, if Tampa wins the next game, I, I still don't see it going seven. I still think Colorado's probably going to walk away the next game, and if they don't, it's wrapped up in six. Yeah, at this point, uh, I think you guys are right on that, and I know both of you picked abs, and I made the mistake here by picking Tampa in seven, and I'm, I'm going to be happy if you guys are right and I'm wrong. I mean, you didn't really make a mistake. Like, Yeah, you might be wrong about your pick, but it wasn't like you picked – New Jersey Devils to beat Tampa Bay or to beat whatever team, right? Like, you, you picked a team that's proven that they can come back and win. Yeah. But, like, since Toronto broke Vasilevsky's shutdown streak in elimination games or whatever, everything has come downhill for for Tampa after the Florida series. Like, the Rangers won two games against them in a row, so that broke their back-to-back. Vasilevsky let three goals or more in in the first game of a, at a playoff series for the first time in three years against Colorado. He let seven goals in and had the first time that he ever let five or plus goals in in a se- in a playoff series against, or ever I think ever really in his career. And then last night, I think this is the first time Tampa Bay has been down three one since I don't even remember. I think in the last three years as well. So like, and it, the trend is trending towards Tampa losing, obviously, but it's trending towards potentially Tampa Bay's players again. Like apparently Ryan McDonough is like that like gassed like. He, he has no energy even at the start of the game. Like it's probably now because it's coming to a reality to me that like maybe Tampa's kind of reached their peak. Yeah, or that the last and this is not trying to take away their last two Stanley Cups, but the situation prevented presented itself where they they took advantage of it with the COVID and then the. The, the 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 realignment of the divisions, and again, not not taking away them winning because it was still hard to win. But I just think that this year, with the teams that had to play, as opposed to the last couple of seasons, was a, is, is is a bit harder for them to to win than than those two. I would say the realignment one, like although it was it was Montreal. Like, that one all kind of gives them, in a sense, because they could have played Toronto, they could have played Edmonton, they could have played Winnipeg. But but Montreal also beat Vegas, right? Like, there was a chance that they would have been or faced Colorado or Vegas, and they did beat Vegas, I'll give you that. But the bubble one, I think that should always have an asterisk because players were, like, separated from their families for, what, 60 days? No wives, no kids, no girlfriends, no parents, no whatever like zooming their families all the time, which was hard. And I understand the rest of the world was like that. But like most people got to sit with their loved ones, whether it be their kids or their wife. And these people were separated in, in two different cities and then banded to one city. Like, I just think like it was basically war and attrition, like whatever team kind of could put that beside aside and, and, and basically play their hearts out the whole season. And I think Dallas is a prime example of that. 
because they've got older players that want to win. You know, like I just think the bubble one should always be like. I don't. I don't think that's that impressive, to be honest. Like, you just you just withstand it. In my opinion, you didn't withstand beating these teams in a real life setting. I think you just withstood the mental aspect of being away from your families and. Like I'm, it's still impressive. You won the Stanley Cup, but I just don't see it as impressive. Which no one really talks about, to be honest. Like, no one really talks about how that had a huge impact on players' mental. Yeah, I mean, probably because they don't really think about it much. If 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 uh, fans are known for one thing, it's not really caring about what the players feel or think. It's mostly just get on the ice and perform so I can watch you. Yeah, and you make millions of dollars, so none of your issues, none of real life issues like mental health can play a factor. I don't know. I think like if you were a professional athlete, like you're used to being away from your families for a period of time, but like 60 days during COVID, testing all the time, not being able to see anyone, you can't even go into your teammates' room. Like I just think you can't order food. Like I think it would just be difficult. Like your your whole life's different. And although you agreed to it, it's still like just interesting to me. Um, but yeah, let's let's move on from that topic. Let's go to the Pete DeBoer uh, uh, Palm Race hiring, and then we'll uh, kind of rush through the Ottawa one. Take a break. Talk about any least news and drafts. All right, who wants to take this one, Kyle? Um. Scott, do you want to go ahead with this one? I don't know as much about these coaching hirings as as of late. Yeah, I I don't know the contracts they were signed to, but uh, uh, Paul Maurice was hired as the head coach of the Florida Panthers, taking over from um, Adams Trophy nominee Andrew Burnett, which is going to be an interesting story in the weeks coming with what's going to happen with him. And Peter DeBoer was hired as the head coach of Dallas, I think. Yeah, yeah Dallas. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, those two high-profile veteran coaches taking over new teams. Uh, I don't know the contract for Pete DeBoer, but I heard that the Maurice, uh, Maurice Richard, Paul Maurice, sorry, was in the in the ballpark of like three or 16 million or something. Which came as a shock to me. I don't know, like, if I'm talking too much or you guys just don't have much to say. I don't know. But uh, chime in, obviously. But, like, it came as a shock to me that Florida basically just looked at the disappointment that they had in the playoffs and didn't give Andrew Burnett another chance. Yeah, I agree. For sure. I don't – I and think like, there's a little bit of disrespect there. On their yeah, and, and now you're tell- – like, did you hear – I don't know if you guys heard the news about what Elliot Freeman said today, but did you guys hear any of the things that happened to him while he was negotiating? So how it started was they were negotiating with Andrew Burnett. Then they went out and did Zoom calls and over-the-phone calls with, with coaches, and then they picked the candidates that they were serious. Well, they gave Andrew Burnett permission to go talk to other teams, but throughout that process, they also told him that he, would, he had a, a chance of coming back. So then when he was talking to other teams, he was hesitant on taking jobs because they thought that once Florida said, hey, you're our head coach, he would go back there. Now there's only four teams that have coaching vacancies, and the only one that have interest in him as a head coach is potentially Chicago. But so not did. only did they kick him in the nuts, they also kicked over his potential chance of getting a head coaching job. 
Brunette does have connections to West Chicago, though. Did he not play there? Yeah. I think he also played in Minnesota, not that they're getting a new head coach. But one of his best friends or best mentors is Bear Trotz. So that could be a tie with, with Winnipeg. Um, but also people said that apparently Philly had a lot of interest in bringing him in as an assistant coach. I just think that that's like, that's like Vegas-level disrespect. And and Paul Maurice, like as Leafs fans, we know, he's not that good of a coach. No. Like people are like, oh, he's bringing in an experienced guy who can win. Like, I don't know what your guys take on it, but I think that he's not that good. Look what he's done in the last – how long was he in Winnipeg? Three years? Four years, maybe? Yeah, something like that. He didn't do much with them. And he did shit all in Toronto. Yeah, exactly. I hate I that. I said this. That bringing in – when people say they're bringing in an experienced coach. There was no reason Andrew Brennan needed to get fired. Like, you're basing him off his first ever NHL playoff experience as 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 a head coach. And then you fire him because they lost. Like, obviously they got swept, which is kind of embarrassing. But like, he is his first, not even first full. He hasn't even been a coach in the league for a full year. Why wouldn't you give him another chance just to to prove that he he could do it? And then. To, to bring like this the cycle of nine coaches in the NHL that are always filling vacancies, it's really getting annoying. Like there's so many yeah. coaches around North America that could easily fill in or become a coach in the NHL, but every time there's a vacancy, nine coaches are always Paul Maurice and Barry Trotz and Peter DeBoer, and except and John John Tortorella and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Their names are always just moving around, thrown in, and they're they're always hired, and then two years later they're fired again because they don't fit in with the system or they don't get along with the players or, and then two the, the next year they're in with another team. And then two years after that, they're fired again. It's, it's kind of annoying to see them just cycling through the same nine coaches over and over and over again. Um, I think, I think I heard that he's out of the coaching realm now. So that's kind of good. But Elaine Vigneault, apparently his career is kind of over, which is I think good because it's one less spot of the same, nine, ten guys that go around. Like, even, it kind of is a kick in the nuts because Dallas interviewed Mark Savard. Apparently, Boston might be interviewing him. And, like, he's the coach of Windsor. And he did well. And I think Jay McKee, who's the coach, but I think of Hamilton Bulldogs, former NHL player, he's supposed to be, he was supposed to be interviewing. And then Steve Steos for a GM role. And all these guys are getting overlooked because they're OHL and they're not experienced. And, like, it's the same. I didn't realize how much hockey and sports is the same as real life. Yep. You apply to a banking job, like in Scott's case, and they're going to say, sorry, you don't have enough experience. You're fresh out of school. What experience do you have besides reading a textbook? Yep. Like, it just doesn't. And then they're like, oh, sorry, you're not experienced enough. Well, how the heck am I supposed to get experience if you're not going to let me have experience? And I understand the difference between that is in the NHL, you can become an assistant coach, an AHL level coach, whatever, whatever. But like, I would love to see Andrew Burnett go to Chicago and actually be a vital part or whatever team he goes to and actually be a vital part in this team turnaround, whether it be Philly and he's helping the power play, whatever. Like I would love to see that because Florida is now on the same level as Vegas, and it's all because they got beat by Tampa. Some people throw up the idea that it's because they didn't handle Washington very well. 
Well, that's dumb. I think like you, Andrew Burnett got his first playoff series win, which is more than what Sheldon Keefe has as as the head coach of Toronto when he did it in four months of being an NHL coach. But like, I don't know. I just think like if Vegas is gonna, or sorry, Florida's gonna be that low because you got beat by your interstate rival, and you're gonna just like he's he's the first ever coach to be nominated by Jack, for Jack Adams and then get demoted. Like I think that's a huge, that's Dwayne Was Casey it? level stuff. Wasn't Gerard Gallant? Didn't he win or was nominated Adams and then he was fired? Yeah, and had but to take a taxi. <laughs> yeah, I think that was by Florida too. But I, I, I mean, like he's the first ever person to then get offered the not offered the interim tag to be removed oh. and be head coach. He just got told basically you're being our and the offer is still there. That's weird to me. They gave him permission to talk to other teams and he's probably going to take another role. But, like, the offer of him being an assistant coach, apparently Paul Marie said he'd welcome him back. Why the heck would you want to come back? Yeah, I don't know. If, if, I, unless that was, like, a 30-year veteran coach who, who was kind of just doing it for the hell of it and didn't really care. I don't think if, if I was ever head coach, I don't think I would ever go to a team as an assistant coach until I was already a proven head coach. Or, like, yeah. it, it would just seem weird to me that that'd be, like, Going from like a CEO of a company to like the, the office manager at a at a one of your factories or one of your stores or one of your businesses, like it just seems weird how you, like it would be weird to me that you were the the head coach and then they fire you and then the only job you can get after that is assistant coach where you're you're kind of playing second fiddle to the head coach. Yeah, and the assistant coach at this at the same job that you were once the head poncho. Yeah, and like there's talk couple days ago that they were talking about this Finnish head coach who's like I think the most winningest head coach in all of Finnish hockey La Liga history or whatever he had like 30 years experience and people were excited about it because Florida usually has a connection with Finnish people and um, like they have a decent amount of European players which I didn't think they did but anyways um, blah 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 like there's all these ties and then that was just talk like like Florida probably knew all along that they're getting Paul Maurice, which also makes me a little confused because Paul Maurice said that he needed to take time away from coaching because his messages were getting stale to vet, to Winnipeg, and then the next team that offers him a contract, he's like, "Yep, I'm back in it." So maybe him saying that kind of just coincidentally won. was right after Joe Qu- uh, John Quinville or whatever Joe Quinville got fired. Yeah, 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 Kyle. I think that I think that might be the smartest thing I've ever heard you say. Thank you. Hey, no problem, man. He put it together. Paul Maurice probably had that plan all along. Oh. Uh, also, just a little other note on coaching. Barry Trotz got offered free beer for life at all uh, a whole bunch of bars in Winnipeg to go sign there. Apparently, it's heading towards him potentially signing on Winnipeg. All right, Barry um, Trotz, free maple syrup for the rest of your life if you come to Toronto Maple Leafs. Barry Trotz, I would love you on the Toronto Police, to be honest. Barry Trotz is Barry, a specialized in defensive play. Barry Trotz, you come to Toronto, and I will personally send you a message on Twitter every day saying you're the greatest coach of all time. Barry That's Trotz, way better, will, than, way better than Winnipeg's <laughs> offer. Barry Trotz, I will actually – I'll buy a Leafs ticket every single day just to have a sign saying, I love you, Barry, if you come to Toronto <laughs> as head coach. I'd love to see that. Bear Trotz, I will draw a picture of Shrek on a on a poster board every day because I think that's what you look like. But it'll be Shrek on a Toronto Maple Leafs jersey if you come to Toronto. 
and I will also offer you free cup of tea every day. Come to Toronto, and I will buy a jersey with each individual number on it, one to ninety-nine, with your name, and I will sit behind the bench and wear it, just for you. Of course, yeah. once ninety-nine is over, they, that kind of ends. But still, ninety-nine games—that's a whole season of me just sitting behind the bench watching you. That's a whole that's, season. That's a great offer. That—that's actually, you know, Bear Trots come to Toronto because that's not impossible. It's and, impossible and to play I'll, ninety-nine games, isn't it? Oh no, it's not. No, no because you whole can go season. seven every. Yeah, no, plus and then a whole season. Seven. 82 and then yeah I'll, yep, I'll yep. Season, yep you're right but then I'll personally sign them Mary Lemieux and then give it to you <laughs> Barry Trotz I will sign every leashers that I have Barry Trotz and then sell them as your as your um, autographed jersey and I'll keep the money if you come to Toronto yeah. who's in yeah. this is getting interesting I'll, I'll buy leave season tickets and then sell them and then give money to the charity of your choice if you come to Toronto. Kyle, here's a little information just to 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 pee you off. Anthony Rizzo, Rizzo just had a 16 pitch walk. Oh, what is that? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> right, we we should probably get the break because we've been an hour and we haven't even done the draft yet. So. Yeah, okay, so let's just rip through this. Ottawa's getting potentially getting a new arena or are getting a new arena. Really, who cares? Uh, Trami believes all the news that I've heard. I don't know if you guys have anything, but Bakayev wants 4 to $5 million for potentially four years, and there hasn't been much up- updates on the Jack Campbell uh, contract front. So we'll be moving into the draft, and draft is on the 7th of July. That is when trades will start to happen, big-time trades. Last year there was a lot in the coming hours before the draft, so stay tuned for all these things for there. We'll recap that all on the 7th after the draft. Let's take a break. Let's come back, talk about the draft first round. And now a quick word from our show sponsors and friends of Inside the Rink. BetUS. BetUS has your NHL, NBA, UFC, PGA, and yes, NFL betting lineups for the 27th year of live betting. Sign up for BETUS.com with promo code RINK for your 125% sign-up bonus. Again, use the promo code RINK for your 125% sign-up bonus. Play with a proven mainstay in the industry. Bet US. You bet, you win, you get paid. BetUS.com who wants to go first? Toronto has the 25th pick. We're just doing first round next week. Episode uh, part two story will be second or third and seventh round, I believe. Uh, who wants to go first with a player off the board? I'll start it off. All right, Kyle. So, obviously, us three have had this conversation. Um, we all like the player. Um, but looking at it now, we believe that he's going to go higher than 25, but my players, Owen Pickering for this, from the uh, Swift current Broncos, big six foot four, 180 pound defenseman, uh, left-hand defenseman, uh, two way defenseman. He has the potential for his body to fill out um, being only 18. Um, I think he'd be a good option for the Leafs. Big uh, defenseman could be physical. 33 points in 62 games with uh, Swift Current this year. Um, he's. I think he can be a steady middle-pairing defenseman. Um, 
could be a guy that could be like a Jake Muzzin, kind of. But that's my guy that I would go with for the pick if we if he gets to twenty five. Um, I don't think he's going to get to 25 now, but that's my guy. Yeah, Owen Pickering actually was supposed to be a little bit lower, but I think he had a good back after his season, uh, which kind of propelled him up into the top uh, 15-ish, 20-ish. Um, still a chance that he could fall, though. Like We've seen weirder things happen. Weirder things, weirder things have happened, sorry. Um I like Owen Pickering too. I don't know if Scott has any idea or thought on Owen Pickering, but uh, I think that he could be good. Quick question: Would you? I mean, depending on how his development goes, then would you keep him in junior for the full, the full age limit, or would you, depending on how his development goes, would you add him to the team as quickly as possible if, if he's developing at a rate you like? Because I know Toronto kind of has a logjam at defense right now. So say three years down the road, his his he's aged out of the OHL, whatever. Would you stick him in the AHL, or would you, if he's you think he's ready, would you put him on the AHL team? I'd still give him the couple of years that he has in the uh, WHL and see from there. Because yeah, like you said, log jam um, at at defense. But um, I think if this guy's given the opportunity. Uh, where the Leafs could take him at 25, I think he'll be a steal. But, yeah, leave him uh, first couple years in the WHL, and maybe in a couple years, things might be a little bit different with the Leafs' defense. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I would even go as far as potentially in this last age-eligible eligible year, if he's an overager in the OHL, uh, find a way to stick him in the AHL. Um, develop a mini system. I think the most important part to that uh, to, for me is what they're kind of doing with Matthew Nyes and eventually what they'll do with Amaroff and all these other players, Ty Boyd. Um, it helps Toronto down the road with cap when you bring these guys up in two years or three years and they make 700000 or 800000 900000 whatever it is, less than a million for three years. And then Owen Pickering is the top four or in the bottom pairing for a year or two and he, and he finally works up to the point where he's got that bridge deal or that extension and he's kind of hitting his not his prime but like his pre-prime you know like 21 22 years old 23 depending but i don't think that there's a nece- i think we've talked about this on the pod before but i don't think there's necessarily a bad um outcome with having a guy develop until he's 23 or 24 like i i personally don't see an issue with a guy being 23 and just cracking the NHL. Meanwhile, he could have made it at 21. I think that it, it could be good, uh, especially in Toronto's cap situation. Uh, Scott, you want to take the first one off your board? Yeah. So I, my first is Adam Ingram. He plays in the USHL. Uh, the last couple of years, Toronto seems to have a, a, a liking to draft college or American players who then can go into college. Gives them that little bit of time to develop, and in the case of Toronto, with this being a forward, it gives them a little bit more time to clear up a spot for him if he does develop into a player that can can fight for a spot on the NHL team. Uh, from what I've heard about him, he has a really good shot, which I mean that's that's a bonus. He has both size and strength, and he apparently has a really good hockey IQ. So 
Toronto's. I mean, I could see him fitting in Toronto top nine. If, if he develops to a player they like, probably top six, eventually down the line. I mean, if he goes to college, I think they'll leave him there for the full four years. Plus, I don't know how old he is right now, 18, so probably four or five years down the line. I think you'd see him in the lineup, which would give them more than enough time to clear a spot for him if, if they're high on him. I think uh, same thing as what I just said with the development is kind of like what you said. The good thing about college players when they draft and they come on the national program where college in, in America is if they choose to leave and sign a contract at uh, like how Abrazizi did this year, then he's eligible for the AHL. So even if he's not spending five years in college or four years in college, he can still spend two or three years in the system becoming the top player in the AHL before making that jump. And like you said, well, kind of like what you said, Toronto only has a small draft capital for the next couple of years. So the guys that they hit on, they need to hit on and they need to let them develop. So then in four or five years, they're breaking into the NHL being top six, potentially, you know, rather than yeah, just and- busting them in like Luke Shen. And then you have a guy that's now a well, defense is a little bit different, but now he's a sixth, seventh guy. Yeah. And apparently from what I read about him, he has top six potential, but also he could be a like a power play specialist guy for you, which four or five, if, if they do either or three, four or five years down the road, if if Matthews does leave, if they need to get rid of Nylander, then that gives you the extra option of a guy who can shoot to fill in for those roles on the power play that they could lose in the, those coming years. Yeah. And the one thing that's kind of important for those people who are, whether you're not a huge Leafs fan or, or you are, um, one thing that I always think that's important with, with Kyle Dubas's management group is they always seem to find that one guy. Like Ty Voigt and, and Matthew Nyes, they just both got invited to the uh, the invitee list for the World Juniors that are happening in August. Like They always seem to hit on these guys. Like Matt, Matthew Nyes was supposed to be a first-round pick. Then he had an injury. They, they picked him. Um, and then who was it before? There's one guy before. Well, Ty Voigt, he's, he's a pretty decent player. There's one other guy in, I think, the draft four that they picked. And then Amarov, I remember texting Scott and Kyle about this. Like, there's a, we were all kind of shocked that, that they picked him, but he seems like he's going to be a top-end player in, in Toronto's like, franchise down the road. Like, so I, I think that's one good thing about, like, these guys they were naming is it may not be a year from now, but it could be five years from now, and they've hit their full stride. Yeah. Which, um, in Toronto's case, is only a bonus because they already have – the structure, right? Yeah. Like the like they only they don't really need guys who can come in now and, and be that guy <clears throat> excuse me. Like a Buffalo, like a Detroit. <coughs> excuse yeah. Me. Like with Matthews, Marner, Nylander, Riley, Tavares, whoever. Like they need guys that can come in when those guys leave or the, when those guys are, are, are wanting to leave or do need to leave or whatever the cap situation may be. So it's not necessarily guys that yeah, you need to come in right away. I agree. Kyle, you got a thought? Um, yeah, no, I like uh, I like the size that he brings. Um, I don't know. Was his role like a like more of a power forward um, based off his size, or um, did it not go into that, that depth? No, so I, I, it didn't list like what his. Okay. Um, yeah, I see here that he's 6'2". Uh, 161 pounds. So obviously, it's going to be one of those guys that's going to fill out a lot. Um, you could see like what, like a six-two, one ninety, six-two, two hundred, eventually. Um, so yeah, I I definitely like him. 
uh, USHL point a game. Um, I haven't really seen video on this guy, but yeah, by based off the numbers and everything that you said, I uh, I definitely go along with you on this one. And hit Adam Ingram, that was him, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, and then my my first player off the board is going to be a lot smaller than than the guys you have. Uh, it's Owen Beck. Uh, if you get a chance, go to I believe I'm allowed to say this, but I'm going to say it anyways. Go to RexScouting.com, RecruitScouting.com, and I have a scouting report on Owen Beck. Um, but there, I I personally think he's going to be a great two way forward in the game in the future. Uh, I had him kind of his ceiling and his floor at Phil Deneau and David Camp, which if you hit on either of those, I think you're still hitting for a good player. Uh, as I said, yeah, I think he's going to be a, two, a good two-way forward. He can score. He can pass. He's on a line with uh, Luca Del Bell, Belzi or Belze or whatever, uh, and he's the he's the sniper on that line. Owen Beck, uh, he he, he kind of sets him up, and I just I just think he's got a good transition too in his game. He he plays strong off the puck on the puck. Um, and he's got a motor, so it's kind of what Toronto needs for those depth players. I think he could be a top six, the to top nine potential, but he's smaller. I think he's like 5'11", 5'10", so not the biggest guy, but um, yeah, I think he he could be a guy. And he, right now he's slotted at 24, I think, on the consensus top uh, 32, so Toronto could pick him. So he's uh, kind of... I mean, this is a bit of an overstatement, but you, 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 the way you explained it, it's kind of like Mitch Marner, but better defensively. Yeah, like, I mean, lacks a lot of offensive. I don't think he's Mitch Marner level offensive ability. I think he, I think he'd fit kind of like, yeah, kind of like what Mitch Marner, he'd have Mitch Marner probably responsibilities, but I think he, he'd put up more points closer to Phil Deneau, so like maybe 45 points a game or a year. Um, maybe 50. Um, but I think that he could be that, that guy like on the second line one day when Tavares goes and it's Matthews. I think he could be that guy who plays the harder minutes against the opponent, which is kind of what yeah, what Mitch Marner does. I just think Mitch Marner will be leaves and bounds ahead of this guy, obviously. No, yeah, I didn't mean like point-wise. I meant like size, play style, defensive, yeah. but a bit more better defensively, yeah. Well, I think Mitch Marner is a good a good player defensively. I just think Owen Beck has like he's the center, so I think his role, yeah, as a defenseman, would be a bit, or sorry, his role defensively would be a bit uh, sharper, or his game sorry would be a bit sharper than Mitch Marner's based on him being a center. But yeah, I think that'd be a good comparison with size. And uh, who wants to go with their second guy off the board? Yeah, I'll go with mine. Um, sorry if I butcher this name. I think I think I'll be okay with it, but you guys correct me if you think I'm wrong. Um, center Rutger McGrowerty. Um, he is a six foot one, two hundred four, two hundred four pounder. Um, played for USA in the U eighteen uh, team. Sixty nine points in fifty four games. Um, he was the captain for the team. Um, he's been said that he's a two-way forward, two-way option. Um, 
and that he gets to places, um, gets to places well, and his off the play, off the puck play is pretty significant. Um, um, big, big body. I like him. Um, and he has that, uh, American, um, connection, like what we see with Matthew Nice. Um, I know the Leafs have been picking a lot of those lately, so I could see them taking this, but don't rule out um, a European player. Yeah, I think I think Toronto sticks to those type of players for based on kind of roughly what I mentioned before is like European, kind of like the Tapi Numala or Nimala. Um, he has a contract with the other team, right? So like Amroff. He's got that contract until 2024, 2025, whatever, and then Toronto can worry about bringing him over, which is buys time, same as players who play in the USHL and the development team when they go to college or commit to colleges and universities. Um, then they just p- provide a little bit extra uh, development for the player, so then the Leafs don't really need to necessarily worry about finding a spot on their roster. That also allows them to either sign the player and leave him as, as an exempt roster player, so then if they have if you had 55 players, those five players are signed and exempt, or you don't sign them until, like they did with Nick Abrazizi, until it's time to bring them over. But yeah, I think that an American-born player would be, or a player from the American circuit would be a decent option for the Leafs. Um, Alright, Sky, you want to take your guy, second guy off the list? Alright, so, minus guy, going back to defense here, <laughs> is a defenseman from Toronto-born Ty Nelson, who plays in the OHL. Uh, he's not the biggest defenseman. He's only 5'10". But based on his scouting report, he seems to be have the potential to be a pretty good offensive uh, defenseman for your team. Among his strengths are skating, his shot, his vision, his puck handling, and his hockey IQ. Uh, he's projected to be a solid top-four offensive defenseman who, who can be a, a bonus on the power play. And I know this kind of just goes against everything I just said, but uh, if if by chance Sandine or Lilligren don't work out, <clears throat> excuse me, and then you have Nymala coming in and whoever other defensemen they have in the minors or, dra- or prospects, then I think this guy could come in and also be a bonus for your team. Yes, I, I know some say that they think that he might not, like, he'll develop, but he might not develop as much. Like, he's kind of reached some of what he'd be at his, at his highest peak. I don't know if that's yeah. true or not because like things are going to develop on him like he is shot and although he's undersized he can still um, fill out a little bit but yeah I think I personally would have had him in the first round like I know that some people have him in the second round but I, I personally would have had him like, if Trump picks Ty Nelson I, I don't think it would be a bad pick I think that he like you said will provide some kind of sub- Stability on the back end, but he also can help offensively as well as he can defensively, right? I mean, I'm I'm not 100% sure, obviously, but I think it would be easier to teach them defensive aspects as opposed to offensive, right? Yeah, I agree. <clears throat> you can't really like you could help them improve their shot, but you can't really teach teach them how to have a great shot. You can't really teach them how to have hockey IQ for an offensive aspect, but you could teach them how to play defense at a, at a better rate than what they currently are. Yeah. And he, 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 I think he runs the power play in North Bay. 
um, with the battalions, and I think he he activates a lot on the rush, so it kind of would go with what you're saying with how Toronto Toronto's the structure could teach him defensive um, like skills, like breaking up the the cycle and all of that. Uh, Kyle got a thought. Um, yeah, I mean, he, he is undersized at 5'10", uh, 200 pounds. Um, played top minutes in North Bay, 51 points, 66 games. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, he's still going to fill out a little bit. So even though he is 5'10", um, he's already 200 pounds right now, so you can see him even more than that. Um I think nowadays um, defensemen will kind of hold their uh, hold their zone, and even though he's five ten, I still think he'd be a solid pick. Um, yeah, they haven't projected at like thirty two or something like that, so it's going off the off the boards a little bit. But uh, yeah, I, th- I think it wouldn't be a bad pick, Scott. Um, and uh, my third guy is Matthias Havlid. Uh, offensive defenseman, uh, puck mover, mobile. He plays strong off the puck. Um, some could say that he plays strong off the puck in the offensive zone, like he's got good, uh, or on the, I guess, yeah, in the offensive zone, or, or when the puck's moving in an offensive, like when their his team has the offensive possession. Um, he can move around the ice, get open, uh, sees the ice well. Needs to work on his defensive um, structure, and which kind of goes back to what Scott was saying with might be easier to teach you guy your system and, and how to stop a cycle and all that versus how to shoot a puck or have hockey hockey IQ to get open and anticipate. Um, I could say I, I would I would personally say that he's going to be a top four to six defenseman. Uh, he kind of fits in that mold of Swedish European defense. I think he's Swedish. I believe he's Swedish, but kind of fits into that realm of of guys who. You, you give their rights to this to a Swedish team now and kind of let them develop in season until it's time to bring them over. If they ever bring them over, maybe it's a trade a, cha- a trade chip. But um, yeah, um, Matisse have a. How do you spell? Uh, A J E L I D and then lid. Okay. I I think it's it's smart for the Leafs to draft defenseman who could be the bottom pair guys because like I mentioned with Kyle's point and then the defenseman he brought up and the defenseman we both brought up whoever brought up this so far and all the players we've listed like with the defenseman Toronto already has drafted they're supposed to be pretty good right like Toppy Nymala and then Sandine and Lilligren that like, could be the second pair guy so if you complement draft players to complement those guys whether it's bottom pair or physicality which I, this guy may not have uh, he may develop at some point because just because he's small doesn't mean he can't be physical. But I think it, it'd be a smart move for them to draft defensemen or forwards who could who could complement what they already have. Yeah. Even though, like I, most people think, first round pick, you have to draft someone who could be a superstar on your team. But in the case of Toronto or teams like Tampa, Colorado, whatever, where they already have that core structure, I think it would only be smart for them to draft players who could come in down the line and 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 be a um, a supporting cast to the guys who are, are coming in that have already been drafted in prior years. Uh, I agree. Um, 
So I know Kyle's got one more on his list. Um, and then I, I'm going to take one guy off my list. And I think Scott's got two. Well, I have two more guys on my list. I think Scott's got two or three more guys on my list. Um, I, I can take a guy off my list. It's up to you. It doesn't matter. I just look no, at the time. I'll, 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 I'll take one off. Okay, so Kyle, just with your third. Yeah, so uh, my third guy that I chose was uh, Daniel Zilkin, six foot one, hundred ninety six pound center out of uh, Guelph Storm. Um, he's said to be a strong skater. He has good hands and um, good zone entry, uh, but he's not he's not very explosive from what I've uh, what I've seen. Um, He's put up solid numbers this year. Um, he's produced. Uh, where are we here? He's produced fifty-five points in sixty-six games with Gulf Storm. Um, he's a little bit lower on the rankings. Um, Thirty-five is what he's projected. Um, so obviously, I'm I'm banking big on Pickering, but. As a uh, as a backup option, option I don't I don't think this guy's a bad pick. Um, I I haven't watched him a lot, but uh, I've heard some kind of good things for him. He plays for Guelph, you said. Yeah, he's Guelph. Yeah, I I I've heard some good things about him. Some people have him kind of low though. Oh yeah, so you think thirty five is uh, a little bit too low? I would probably have him in the late second, maybe mid second to mid third kind of range, but some people have him like seventy two. Some people have him a little bit higher, um, but I think he's got potential. Uh, Scott, I don't know how your your what your thoughts are on this on this particular player, or if you want to move on to your own. I. Uh... <clears throat> I was actually just in the bathroom real quick <laughs> while, while Kyle was doing his pick there, and I, I didn't hear anything about this player. So let's move okay, on. Well. Sorry about that. Sorry about that, Kyle. No problem. Uh, let's move on. My next guy is defenseman uh, Maverick Lamoureux uh, from Quebec. Uh, I, I noted uh, based on what I've said already. I, I'm adding players who I could, who I think would be good. Uh, supporting cast or, or depth guys for the Leafs in the coming years for the guys they already have. And he's a six foot seven right-handed defenseman. He's not that big, like weight wise, he's only 196 pounds, but apparently he has good speed and he's good, uh, has good puck, um, puck mobility. So that, that's a bonus for a big guy. You don't really see that with guys who are, who are that, that tall. Uh, yeah. So I, I, I noticed he was that big and with his potential offensive game coming into play, he could be a, a good supporting for the, the, the guys they have coming. Scott, uh, Kyle, you got any thoughts on this? Um, yeah, I mean, looking at his stats, it's not crazy. But uh, like Scott said, he's big six foot seven kid. Um, 24 points, 54 games. Um, 70 penalty minutes. Um, yeah. Um, Big lengthy defenseman, I like it. Um, six foot seven on the Leafs, that's like a dream come true for a Leafs defenseman. Um, when have we ever seen that? 
Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I like the pick. I definitely agree with it. Right-handed shot. Um, I th- I think that this is a guy that Montreal is going to try and go after, just based on their like rule that they have to have French Canadians. Um, and he's got the most like sometimes like pocket and stuff like that. Like although they do sound French, well, that like I, th- I think he's just got like the most French name. Um, but in terms of his actual play, I think he's still raw. Like I think that he could use some. Um, seasoning in the queue and uh but I I do know that he was a former first overall or first round pick in the queue so uh obviously has some kind of potential coming out of his uh his youth years into his junior career so um yeah after I took him I won hate it um I'm gonna move on to mine I have Glabe Trixioff uh, I believe I said that right. Kind of reminds me of like uh, a, a prototypical Russian forward, uh, heavy shot, um, offensive-minded. Uh, basically, can shoot from anywhere on the ice. Uh, seems to play more like to play more in the offensive zone than the defensive zone. Um, I think he's got top six potential. In terms of where he could fit on the Leafs, maybe top nine, depending. I think he could potentially be maybe a better a better goal scorer than uh, maybe a Mikheyev, but I I think that he could fit that kind of role. Um, yeah, I think I think that he would be a player around that range in the in the top thirty five of the draft where he could be picked in, and and he's got that Russian tie, obviously, so he will have a contract with a Russian team and three, four, five years or whatever it takes until he comes over to Canada and, and whoops behind with the Leafs. Yeah, I don't really have much to cover on the guy. Uh, I don't really know much either. Um, like you said, he'll be with a Russian team, which is a good thing. Um, and he'll get some practice in over there while, uh, while he progresses. And eventually he'll make his way over to the Leafs. And that time progressing over there um, will hopefully benefit him if he's the one that the Leafs are to choose. Oh, what was his name? Glade Trixioff? Yeah, or Trixoff, I think. What's he projected? I don't know. I think the consensus, I don't know. Glade Trixioff. I think I said right. I could have butchered his name. I'm the worst at names, so. Um, he's ranked 26 right now, but he's projected to be a t- uh, first-round pick. Uh, he's consensus uh, ranking is 27. He plays in the Junior Hockey League? No, he plays in uh, Russia, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Like he plays in the Masterly. MHL. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he'll he'll get a KHL contract, obviously. Um, but yeah, he's kind of somewhere in between twenty and and thirty five. Some people have him, but consensus he's at twenty seven. So, um, yeah. 
Uh, so Kyle doesn't have any other players. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on him. If not, we'll move on. Uh, Scott, you have a player or two? No, I just have one more. Okay. And uh, so my last one is Tristan Luno, uh, also right-handed defense from the QMJ, uh, Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. Uh, he's not as tall as the last guy, but he's still 6'2", only 174 pounds. But when he gets into the uh, NHL systems, he could put on a, a weight. Uh, he, I, From what I've seen or read about him, he seems more like a Brody or, or Giordano type, where he, he's a solid defensive who doesn't really get... Um, fold under pressure, but he can also move the puck or make a good play to get the puck down the ice when he needs to. Uh, again, just another guy who, based on what we've heard about the Leafs defenseman coming in, that will be replacing the guys they have now with Nimala or if Andy and Lilligren develop, just a guy who I thought could come in as a, a role player, depth, or supporting act who could help those guys uh, thrive. Yeah, I think... Um... If, I, if it's the same guy I'm thinking of, I think I've heard some good things about him. But I, I actually, I'm in a group chat with some scout people, like people who do just like volunteer scout work on Twitter, and one guy said he just seems like a good fit for Toronto. So it's interesting that you bring him up. I wouldn't hate yeah, it, though. Just from what I was reading about him, he just seems like that Brody Giordano style where they, they maybe not on the caliber of Giordano when he won the... Norris, but like just the, the depth guy who knows their role, who, who doesn't necessarily make bad plays defensively, but can also contribute when when needed offensively. Yeah, which is uh, good to have one or two of those guys on your back end. Um, mm-hmm. Like, look at how Brody's kind of impacted the Leafs. So if he can partner up with the, with the Lilligren, or you say he's right-handed shots, so Sandine, then I, 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 don't see a, I don't see how that'd be bad for the Leafs. Yeah, you're finding uh, some good, uh, good right-handed shots tonight, Scott. Yeah, is Scott like the scout of us all, or the right, the right-handed, right-handed scout? This last uh, guy was nice right hand, big right-handed defenseman. This guy's still big, but yeah, six two, yeah. six two is definitely not small. Hey, Trauma Blues, hire Scott Lazarus as your scout and Barrett Trotz as the head coach. Yeah. Um, my last guy is going to be Noah Warren. Uh. He's a big dude, six foot five, two hundred twenty-five pounds from the Q. Uh, physical defender, bad. Um, well, he's not bad. Like I won't say he's necessarily. Well, he had twenty-four points in sixty-two games with Gadneau of uh, the Quebec Major Junior League, but he's he lacks offensive uh, upside. That's what most most people said that he will lack at the pro, the pro level. I could see him being similar to like a Labushkin style, where he's he's more known defensively. Comes in, breaks up the cycle, throws his body around. He's a big dude, obviously, so that kind of plays a part. The only issue with the CHL-level players is, like, once they age out, you have to offer them a contract. So once they get drafted, they got, like, two years, sometimes three, depending on their age. Then you have to put them in your system, whereas European players, you can leave over in Europe for a couple more years. Uh, NCAA players, same thing, which isn't necessarily a bad thing because you can put them in your own system, but I just feel like Toronto... My personal opinion on how Trump's going to draft is going to be potentially European, American, and Russian style brackets uh, just based on the fact that they can keep them. And I could totally be wrong. Like, they could draft three guys from the OHL. 
like I hope hope I hope that they draft a guy, some guys from the OJ, obviously, but I just personally feel like these style picks will be less likely. You you have to give them a contract? Well, you don't have to, but then they then they they can either re-enter the draft or they go as an unrestricted free agent and so they get south of the teams. Yeah, but like when you when you sign a prospect, unless he's got a contract with another team, like the Amarov, or when you draft a prospect, like when the Amarov, the Matthew Nice situation, um, you have like three three NHL yeah. seasons to offer them a contract, right? So yeah. if their if their contract's over, you have to. Like when their eligibility is over, you have to give them. I believe you have to give them a contract, unless they've signed in Europe. But I think you'd still have to offer them a contract and just have the transfer rights. But I could be wrong. I could be wrong about that. No, I just I didn't. I didn't know if you had to or not. I just I, when you said that, I was confused. That's all. Like that's what happened with Henry Robinski from Florida. Is they didn't offer him a contract, and same as uh, Evan Verling, who's well, he plays for Barry now, but Barry Colts, but um, with the Rangers, I believe he didn't get offered a contract. So I think, well, I think uh, Robinsky actually got signed by Washington, but I think Verling Verling can actually re-enter the draft or becomes a free agent for anyone to sign. But I mean, a first-round talent if you're drafting him and he's he's progressing, obviously Toronto will sign him and then just use him as an exempt contract. That's the only benefit of having some guys in the O. In the Q and the in the WHL league is like they can be exempt contracts where you sign them and you can use those contracts and go over. So if you sign five prospects, you have five extra roster spots because they don't necessarily count because their contract's not active, right? So you sign them and their contract's not active until they've played a game in the NHL and then they've played what is it, fifteen to burn their first year of the contract? Yeah, I think it's so, fifteen. So there's kind of some different leeways and and you can put them in your system and kind of get them in and. And develop them. I just think Toronto might go with a European or an American style player again. Um, so uh, n- next week on the pod, we will do the third round pick. I believe it's the seventy fifth pick or seventy ninth, and then they have one that's uh, two eighteen, I believe, which is the seventh round. Um, sorry, excuse me. So we will have that set up uh we will also be doing a cool feature which i think i'm kind of excited for is uh kind of like with available players in the trade market because some might come more available next week uh what pick would you give up what package would you give up for that player that's available based on the draft like on draft night uh would you keep this pick would you trade this pick who would you pick with this pick whatever um and then we'll get you queued up for the draft on the seventh and then on the seventh we will be with you uh, to do a recap of the draft and of the trades for all the NHL, obviously we'll recap big news around the NHL, but we will f- primarily be focused on the Leafs, breaking out the prospect that they have. Um, one final thing, uh, we will be taking. Uh, we have a, a, a specific schedule for the next little bit till the training camp happens, so there will be a couple weeks that we take off. However, on free agency day, July 13th, we will be with you for two or three hours, depending on how long it is. We don't all need to be here for the same time. Kyle, Scott, if you guys need to leave, me, if you need to leave, whomever needs to leave, if you want to stay, sure, whatever. We're just going to hang out, shoot the breeze about hockey, about free agents, who we're sharked by, contracts, what the Leafs will look like going forward. And then after that, we're going to take a week off. So this next little bit, we're going to be cramming some probably a little bit longer episodes in. 
hope you enjoy it. Hope you listen, download, and if you are liking what we're doing, buy merch and donate. Special shout out to Nick Kiprios. Um, Scott knows why. Kyle will learn why. Me and Scott's brother is getting married um, in September, and we're doing a virtual Jack and Jill. I reached out to Nick Kiprios and his company, Little Buddha, uh, for a donation, and they're donating to the Jack and Jill so we can auction off the prizes. The proceeds are split between my brother's wedding, the Kidney Foundation, and the Diabetes Association, which all touch our family and his fiance's family. Um, but yeah, uh, special shout out to Nick Kiprios. Uh, thank you for that. And I, when I pick them up, if there is a picture that I get to, if I get to meet Kip, Nick Kiprose, uh I'll take a picture and share it on our socials. Um, but yeah, so uh, stay tuned. We got some big stuff coming this summer, uh, and potentially just before tra- uh, training camp and the preseason starts, we might have a special guest coming on. Uh, and I believe we're planning on doing a jersey giveaway, so be prepared for that kind of stuff too. Um, yeah, so follow us on social media. Obviously, you guys know the plugs, so I don't need to plug them anymore. Uh, and stay tuned for more interesting news from Lee Stock Forever. Thank you, and have a good night. Thanks. Thank you, everyone.